Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is a true crime podcast, as the title suggests. So please consider this your warning that it's not suitable for children. And it probably will contain content that may be triggering to some people. Also, it's an Australian true crime podcast. So Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners should be aware it may contain the voices of deceased people. The producers of this podcast recognise the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. So you've never indicated to Glenn that you wish more. I doubt it. Well, because I'm not a psycho. Because he done this all by himself, Bianca, or have you somehow encouraged him? I didn't. I didn't encourage him. I didn't.
That's Bianca Edmonds being interviewed by homicide detectives after the murder of her former partner, Michael Kaposiena, by her new husband, Greg Cassidy, in 2016. That was the first time police interviewed Bianca about the matter, but it certainly wasn't the last. Even though they knew she hadn't pulled the trigger, in fact, they knew she was miles away when her ex was shot dead in the doorway of his home. Police pursued Bianca tirelessly for years, believing she was an unlikely criminal mastermind and a black widow. ABC News Melbourne court reporter Christian Silver watched the story unfold in all its raw human complexity before Judge Lex Lazary earlier this year, and he joins us today on Australian True Crime to tell us all about it. I'm the court reporter for the ABC in Melbourne, so I, um, I see a lot of different types of cases. It's a very interesting job. You get to see all sorts of different types of people and you get to see people who've been put in all sorts of unusual situations. It's a job that really does test your moral compass, I would say. I've come to learn that there's probably three different types of people, if I can put it that way, that I come across. One is um, a type of person who I can very much relate to, an everyday person who goes about their life without any issue, and in one moment there's a a split-second decision that they make that can have absolutely tragic consequences. And the people who spring to mind most in in that example are the people who are involved in horrific car accidents where it's a mistake. I find that to be quite heartbreaking because you think that could be me or that could be my parent or my my wife or my friend. So that's that's one category of person. The second category is someone where they've done something terrible, um, but you can understand when you hear the context, why they did what they did, it's not—it's not to say that you agree at all, but you can—you can understand how one thing led to another, and then it reached a, a crazy crescendo. So that's the second group, and then the third group of people are people where you just have absolutely no idea what was going through their head. You can hear all the evidence about the case, and it's still pretty perplexing. And I would say that the Bianca Edmonds case definitely falls into that category. I want to preface this by saying that a man was murdered in this case and another person died and a third person was was very badly assaulted. So it, it is a very serious case. At the same time, there are elements about the lead up to this case which can only be described as bizarre, very strange. And if we weren't talking about an incident where two people died this would be utterly comical. Yeah, it's so badly planned, it's so badly conjured. It's just insane. It's like, how did anyone think this could ever work? It's a really amazing story. Can you start us at the beginning, please, with the characters? Who are these people? There are three central characters in this story. The first person is Bianca Edmonds. Bianca had a pretty disruptive childhood. Um, She grew up in Tasmania, and what we've been told is that her family home was was a place that was characterised by deprivation, dislocation and fear. That's according to um, what her lawyers said in court documents. So 
Um, we know that her mother repartnered with another man, and then there were new siblings brought into the family. They moved around a lot. They moved from Tasmania to Melbourne in the late 90s when Edmonds was aged 11. And again, lots of moving around. Um, we know that she left high school through year 11, um, then joined the Navy. Um, she was medically discharged within a year because of some injuries that she had to her feet. Then she went over to Perth, where she was working for BHP Billiton. She had her first child at that point to another man um, that's not related to this story. And then later on, um, she's come back to Melbourne. She started working as a dental nurse uh, and then uh, later worked in an admin job in Shepparton, a regional town, before then going back to dental nurse work in Bendigo. Gosh, that's a lot of moving around for such a young woman. So she's been lived a very unstable life. It sounds like there hasn't been a lot of constants. Bianca Edmonds is a mother of three. At the time in 2016 was uh, about 29 years old and one of her children um, was to the second person in this story named Michael Capasiena. Edmonds and Capasiena were in a relationship. They had a young son, but the relationship broke down. It was a very bitter falling out and they went their separate ways. Were they ever married? They weren't married. They were engaged and we're told that the relationship actually ended the day before the engagement party. So it was obviously a very serious relationship. It ended badly, and they had this son. There was a bitter custody dispute between Edmonds, who had custody of the boy, and Capasiena, who wanted access to see his child. Uh, it's quite a common situation that happens across the country when parents split up. So at this stage, nothing unusual. The third character in this story is Glenn Cassidy, and Glenn Cassidy was about 20 years older than Bianca Edmonds, and he ended up marrying her after the relationship with Capasiena broke down. So they'd been married for about two weeks uh, in early 2016. The custody dispute over the son with Capasiena had been bubbling along for a while. Now, Capasiena had been granted um, supervised access to the child, which meant you know meeting the child at like a neutral venue and spending a couple of hours with him, and then he'd go back to, to staying with mum. However, those supervised sessions, there was only a limited amount of them. They'd come to an end and the courts had ordered that the two of them basically get together and work out a plan. So it was at that point where this dispute was clearly going to escalate. Bianca Edmonds didn't want Capasiena to have access to the child. She was also frustrated by the fact that she lived some 170 kilometres away um, and obviously a child sharing agreement is, is going to be challenging with that situation. So she, so she didn't like the thought of coming down to Melbourne and dealing with that. And what we've come to learn from this case is that she decided the best way to solve the problem was to have her ex-partner assassinated. Detectives are still trying to unravel the murders of two men in 2016. A 49-year-old Shepparton man died after he was stabbed at a home in West Meadows. A 38-year-old man suffered a fatal gunshot to the head during the altercation. A 40-year-old woman was also injured and taken to hospital. It's believed the fatal incident was instigated by another person who wasn't present. Anyone with information is urged to contact we learned through this case that it was a plan that Bianca Edmonds 
formed in her, in her head. Uh, she may have tried to recruit other people to do it. There was one person who she's allegedly approached and in no uncertain terms, uh, she was told to fuck off. And then what we've been told is that basically over the course of some months, she has planted the idea in, in Glenn Cassidy's head that it would be really good if he could carry out this job for her. We've heard evidence from people that um, she used sex as a lure to Glenn Cassidy and, and kept planting this idea in his mind. To tell you a little bit about Cassidy, Cassidy was about 20 years older. I believe he'd been working a lot of different jobs over his life, including you know personal training work. Cassidy, by all accounts, was illiterate, and that's borne out by some of the notes and hand-drawn maps that he drew uh, in the lead-up to the murder. So some would say, you know, probably not school-educated. Now, we've also been told that Cassidy was very fond of this boy, saw himself as a genuine father figure to this child. So we're led to believe that he genuinely loved this child and, and, and wanted what Bianca wanted as well. So you can see how perhaps these two things come together in his mind and he, for kind of bizarre reasons, agrees to go along with this dastardly plan to carry out an assassination. Well, you've provided us with some recordings of phone calls between the two that certainly seem to bear out that kind of relationship. I mean, there are some pretty pathetic moments where he's begging for sex pretty much and saying, I love you, and she won't say it back. I love you. Enjoy your job. Yeah, I love you. Concentrate. I love you. Concentrate. Don't stuff up. Pay attention. Yeah, I will. I love you. I know. Okay. And as we're listening to the phone calls, we can hear the lead up. There's references to the the stalking of Michael Caposiana and uh, checking out the his house and, and all of that kind of stuff. How, how did that process go down? This was a harebrained exercise, but these two did intend to carry out this assassination with a degree of, of planning. And as we'll come to, the planning was horrendous, but they went into it with intentions to do a, a clinical job. So the planning included Cassidy driving from Shepparton down to Melbourne to hang around Kaposiana's street, basically to do surveillance job, to suss out exactly how he could carry out this assassination. Um, so he would drive down there constantly and call Bianca with updates of how his planning was going. While well, I said that they were they were pretty bad at what they did, uh, they did use some code words as they talked on the phone. So there's constant references to the job, um, the job obviously being the assassination. Uh, there was talk about the workers, and the workers were Caposiana uh, and his partner um, who lived at the house. So there'd be lots of discussions about, oh, the workers didn't turn up today for their job. Um, I'm sick of waiting around here. Or Hello. Good aim. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, it didn't go real well. No? Uh, people not showing up for work and noisy shit out of me. Oh. I figured if they're not going to show up for work, then by now they're not going to show up at all. Oh. It's 11 o'clock. So. But I did find out there's a dog 
<laughs> yeah? Yeah, that wasn't there before. Mm. Like next door. You're going to keep trying or leave it for a while? Oh, I don't want to leave it at all. Like you come back tomorrow? Yeah, this has to be done. I know. Yeah, I'll have to go back again tomorrow night and get this finished. After a while, after several weeks of this, Bianca Edmonds was starting to get quite frustrated because, um, in her words, she wanted the job to get done um, because she wanted this custody dispute to be brought to an end. So um, as you hear in the calls, there's there's times when she, she pressures him to finish this job and to get it done. And if you get this job done, there'll be less stress in our lives and, and things like that. She, he asks her, can we have sex tomorrow night? She goes, well, it depends if we're celebrating or not, which is supposed to be the day of the job. So she's really holding that one over him, you know. He won't get any sex until he kills her ex-boyfriend. I, I am completely over this job. I'm over it. It's got to be. Well, just finish it. I'm trying. Finish this job and move on. We need we need less stress in our life and I'm not looking forward to having to go to legal aid and get it all. Yeah. And can we have sex tomorrow night? I don't know, it depends if we're or not. Oh. And that's that power dynamic we were talking about, that the prosecutors claim that she had over him. Now, the judge in this case did say that you know Cassidy wasn't a, a total dupe. He did willingly go along with this plan. He, he was capable of making an independent choice here, but, but clearly he was influenced by his obsession for his new wife. So... The day of the killing, Cassidy drives about 170 kilometres from Shepparton down to West Meadows, which is where Kaposiana lives. Cassidy, in his car, brings along his dinner, which he never got to eat. And we can only presume it was some kind of odd victory meal that he had prepared for himself. It was a chicken schnitzel and peas that were wrapped uh, in cling wrap. Um, He also had a caramel-flavoured chocolate milk, which he left in the car. Anyway, he he arms himself with the gun, leaves his dinner in the car. Um, He's captured on CCTV footage walking towards Kaposiena's house. Then what follows is a version of events as told by Kaposiena's uh, partner, who's the only survivor from this ordeal which, which takes place on the 16th of March 2016. So we're told that Kaposiana sees Cassidy lurking, highly odd, highly unusual. He's, he's concerned by this. Uh, so he arms himself with a knife, just has it there behind his back. Cassidy knocks on the door. There's a screen door that's there. So I, I'm guessing the main door opens, the screen door stays shut. The two of them have a conversation of some kind. Um, now we can assume it's probably something to do with the child custody dispute it's not too hostile at this point. Then we're told that uh, Cassidy extends his hand out to shake Kaposiana's hand. And that's the lure for Michael, the victim, to then go and open the door to shake this man's hand. And that, that's when things escalate. We're told that Cassidy pulls this gun out from behind his back, this sort of very small shotgun, points it at uh, Kaposiana's head. Kaposiana, who's then armed with a knife in self-defence, stabs Cassidy several times in the torso. While that's going on, Cassidy has managed to fire the shotgun, which has got one bullet in it, and it hits Kaposiana, basically kills him on the spot. 
Hit him in the head, right? Yeah, shoots him in the head, uh, basically God. kills him on the spot. So he's dead. Cassidy, meanwhile, has got these really bad stab wounds and proceeds to then viciously attack Kaposi and his partner who's in the house. But then he also dies from his his stab wounds. Um, and, and thankfully, Kaposi uh, and his partner, who's completely innocent in all of this, um, she survives the attack and, and, and gets to tell the tale of what happens. After the break, our guest, ABC News court reporter Christian Silva, lays out the Crown's case against Bianca Edmonds. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. All this commotion, obviously, neighbours have, have been roused and called police and um, then it kind of follows, as you would expect, a big crime scene and, and uh, investigation and then police really had to dig down into what was behind all of this and, and how it all unfolded. Unfortunately for Bianca, I mean, it just was not, it can't have been a difficult thread to pull. I mean, there is so much evidence on Glenn's phone, for one thing. He made some to-do lists on his mobile phone here, on, which is a great idea, and very poorly spelt, but things like um, he's got obstacles, misspelled, but obstacles, one bullet, Getting him alone, body transport, that's one heading. And then the next heading is things I want to do before the job. Financial for Bianca and kids, have a baby or at least be pregnant. Get married, have as much sex as possible. And then he's got answers, another heading. Knife, waters, 
bike or car that's not mine with no plate and jobs for her. So I don't yeah. know what that means. But- don't know what that means. It is rather odd that uh, an assassin would write the to-do list on his phone, but he's not the first. As we've touched on in this case, there are just elements of it that are utterly bizarre. This is only just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, and he's not the first to write a to-do list on his phone. Weirdly enough, but his is again, kind, you know, really pathetic, isn't it? There are things I want to do before the job, you know, get financial for Bianca and the kids, have a baby, or at least be pregnant, get married, and have as much sex as possible. Like, uh, you know. It's crass as the is it, but it it really is about his love for her and the wanting to form a family with her, take care of her and her kids. It's not a stretch to say that he was obsessed yeah. with her. I don't know that Bianca's list would include you know those sorts of things directed to Glenn. Probably not. So Cassidy, I've in my mind painted him as a sort of really tragic figure all alone in the world. But he's not, is he? He's he's had family. He's got family. Yeah, that's right. Cassidy appears to have had, you know, relationships with people and friendships. He was a father himself. Um, he, he had some kids, uh, older kids as well, uh, around the time he got together with Bianca Edmonds. And some of them were, were even living with the couple at the time that the murder took place. So they, they would have had a, a pretty good sense of what Bianca was like. Um, and now fast forward seven years, it was very interesting to see how they view this whole sorry state of affairs. And interestingly, even though Cassidy was essentially a murderer, they feel that he too was a victim. They feel that he was conned into doing this by Bianca Edmonds, manipulated into doing this, and they feel that he is a victim and at um, one of the court hearings, there was this unusual situation where Michael Kaposiana's family tendered to the court their victim impact statements, as you do when someone in your life has been, um, you know, tragically murdered. And then Glenn Cassidy's family wanted to also tender their own victim impact statements. And it was a situation that the judge, Lex Lazary, described as most unusual because he'd ne- I don't think he'd encountered a case before where a family of what was essentially a murderer wanted to, to also consider themselves as victims. And ultimately, he rejected their victim in- impact statements. But it was clear that um, they believed Edmonds was also the one responsible. And often in these highly emotional court cases, you would never have the two families from a killer and a victim sitting together, but they actually sat one row away from each other and um, it was clear that there were no open hostilities between the two of them. So it was just another unusual aspect of this case. I can see how his family have reached the point where they have wanted for him to be seen as victimised in some way, certainly manipulated. Yeah, I think they don't believe that Cassidy was a violent person and somehow in his relationship, he's changed, he's been turned. I suppose that's how you make sense of it. I guess not many people have had a family member commit a murder and and when something like that happens, uh, you try to rationalise, to to justify how someone you love, someone who you think is is a peaceful person can can do something that's unthinkable. Um, I can only imagine that's the way they looked at it. 
On one hand, I can see the logic in that Justice Lazary accepted clearly, even though Bianca wasn't present, she was at least equally responsible for the entire mess. Definitely, she was clearly the link between the two men and I'm sure I'm not putting words in anyone's mouths uh, if I was to say that if Bianca hadn't given Glenn Cassidy instructions to carry out an assassination, he, he probably wouldn't have done it off his own bat. I just found this fascinating piece of information regarding the planning, that on the day of the murder, Cassidy sent the text message to Bianca. What can you tell us about that? This was a really interesting element of the case. I'll, I'll read a bit of this text message. Now, we mentioned earlier that uh, Glenn Cassidy was basically illiterate. With that in mind, from his phone, he sends this very long text message, and I'll just read some of it. It says, Bianca, I love you so much. You have no idea what I'm about to do, something that you would consider absolutely stupid, but I can't put up with his, I assume the next word is shit or something, anymore. I can't be a part-time parent to the boy uh, if I get caught. I want them to know you had nothing at all to do with this. This is my choice, my decision. You know nothing about it. Now, I read that in a hurry because there were no full stops in this, but it, it was all spelt perfectly. So one can assume, as um, the jury probably did, that either Bianca Edmonds wrote this text message and sent it from Cassidy's phone, or that Cassidy used some kind of voice to text to do it. Well, certainly the evidence given by Telstra or the phone people was that that text message was sent from their home in Shepparton, from the same house that Cassidy, that um, Bianca was in. That's right. It was basically um, the evidence was that the prosecutors believed that the two phones were together um, when he sent this message, which sort of cleared her of any involvement in it. So the jury would have, I'm sure, taken that into account and, and, and dismissed it as either something that she did or something that um, was concocted between the pair. And it just adds to the uh, sheer volume of, of bizarre elements to the case. In her police interview, I noticed that Bianca, in her defence to the police, said, no, no, as if I would have anything to do with something this violent, and in, in particular with guns. They were asking her if she had any firearms or if she'd ever tried to obtain a firearm. You have not, or you've never tried to source a firearm? No. Okay, that's okay. Oh, I don't like them. Okay. If you deep dig deeper into my childhood, you understand why I don't like them yes. around children. Okay. My own father in Tasmania, mm. it's just, I do not agree with firearms around children. Mm. I do not agree with just a lot. Do you know what she meant by that? Bianca grew up in Tasmania and she said that um, she had a very disruptive childhood. We know that the family home was mired with violence and um, by all accounts it was a pretty unpleasant place. So we can only assume that there's some connection there with guns, with violence, and um, we know that, yeah, her, her early childhood was troubled, but then there's no suggestion that after that, as she became an adult, that um, there was guns involved or, or anything like that. Not that we know of. Once um, Bianca was in custody, a woman that she was in custody with gave evidence 
uh, they were in custody together at Dame Phyllis Frost here in Melbourne, uh, Marina Laprisi, who said that, that Bianca told her everything, told her everything about the crime, and she told her that her plan was that Glenn would end up in jail, that Bianca thought from the beginning, this will be great, I'll be rid of both of them. There were three people who turned on Bianca Edmonds that um, she probably trusted, and I think some caution has to be given to their evidence. Two of the people that gave evidence against her were former cellmates, so apparently she has made admissions and bragged about the plan and and things like that. Uh, And then the other person who gave evidence against her was a man that she was in a relationship with after Glenn Cassidy's death, apparently had made some confessions to him and then he turned and became a prosecution witness. So I guess that also adds to that weight of evidence. These kinds of cases, if you don't have clear, you know, CCTV footage of what happened, it's about building the case with a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B, adding all the pieces together, almost putting a jigsaw puzzle together to, to form a picture. It may not be a complete picture, but it's enough of a picture for a jury or a judge to find that a person's guilty beyond reasonable doubt. I don't understand this technology. It's got to be scary for a lot of people to know that they can then go and dig up these phone calls prior to the crime. Well, it's interesting you say that. Um, There is an assumption that the police dug up the phone calls, but that's actually not correct. Right. So for reasons that have not been explained, and only Glenn Cassidy would probably know the answer to this, he installed some kind of phone recording software on his phone. Oh, my God. And it's then when the police have gone and carried out their investigation, have taken his phone, have gone through it, that they've uncovered these phone calls. So it's fallen right into their lap, and it's what probably is the key evidence that that solves this case. I've underestimated Glenn again. So maybe he was a little bit sus on Bianca. Maybe he was keeping his own evidence. Possibly. I mean, as I said, there's a lot of things in this case that don't make a great deal of sense, and this is probably another, another element of it. I mean, he's effectively incriminated himself and his wife but whether he saw it as some kind of insurance policy, we'll never know. And it does capture some pretty weird phone calls between the pair. It's rather odd to hear this stuff interspersed with general discussion about how's your day going? And there's one call where she talks about a movie she's watching on Netflix. What's up to? Who's watching a movie? Oh, yeah. What you watching? Flipped. It's Netflix. Oh, yeah. It's just started. I have you. How'd your yeah. barbecue go? Yeah, it was yummy. Well, I just finished a little bowl of pavlova as well. And it sort of gets to how callous this was that they're talking about their daily routine while also chatting about an assassination. And also his other phone calls with other people too. So when you say it captured, of course, it captured all of his phone calls. Was there anyone in his life that he was confiding in? Not, not about the fact that he was about to try and murder somebody, but just about his life and his relationship with Bianca? Did he have any other close friends? He had a close mate who lived in the area and we're told that this was a, a childhood friend and Cassidy would often talk to this man and, and, and talk about the pressures that he was being put under by Bianca in relation to this child custody dispute and how she wanted 
this dispute to be brought to an end. And this guy told the court that he heard Bianca belittling him, saying that he's not a real man and he hasn't got any balls and, and these kinds of things which, you know, would aggravate some men <laughs> into doing certain things when when they're being um, belittled by someone. So, so this guy said that that had gone on. This is the guy who also says that Bianca Edmonds approached him and asked him to carry out the hit and he's the one who who said he wouldn't do it. So, Oh, is he the fuck-off man? Yeah, he is. Ah. Yeah. How in the original plan was Glenn Cassidy supposed to get away with murdering Michael Kaposiena? Was he supposed to? Were they supposed to live happily ever after without the custody issues? Was that the plan as he saw it, do you think? I think ultimately that was the intention, but it was clear that there wasn't a great deal of thought put into the aftermath. There didn't seem to be a great deal of thought put into how police would investigate this or any real knowledge of when a murder happens, the kind of steps that police take to ensure that they can track down the killer. So it seems that he went there with his gun that was loaded with one bullet thought he'd carry out the assassination, leave without being seen and then perhaps let other things play out um, and eventually the end result would be that the, the child would end up in his custody. But it's clear that th- there wasn't a great deal of planning. In the lead-up to the murder, Bianca Edmonds actually went on a trip to Darwin and prosecutors said that that was actually when the hit was supposed to happen, so it would be a good alibi that she was interstate when it happened. Um, but because uh, Cassidy wasn't able to to do it in that time, she was back in Victoria. But still, she wasn't present when it happened. And it should be noted that you know Bianca Edmonds has never admitted responsibility for this killing. She insists that it's Cassidy's the one who acted alone by doing this. She would admit that she wanted Kaposiana out of her life, but would never go as far as saying she wanted him killed. And she pleaded not guilty at her trial and she continues to maintain her innocence. Well, I suppose that's where we're at now is there was only one person left to face justice and it was the trickiest case to run because, as we said, she wasn't there. So in the end, the decision is an interesting one to prosecute Bianca in the first place. I can imagine the police tried to pull together their brief of evidence. And we know that the DPP is not going to agree to prosecute someone unless they think there's a pretty strong case. So to go ahead and prosecute Bianca was a pretty extraordinary call, I would think, given that she was not there. And I think... This is probably where the phone calls really shone as a key piece of evidence because, as I said, with with a lot of these prosecution cases, it's about putting a puzzle together, finding all the pieces, and even if it all doesn't quite 100% add up, if it paints a, a clear enough picture, that's good enough to prosecute and that's good enough to get a verdict. So you look at sort of the key pieces of evidence in this case. You've got Cassidy's motive. He's killing someone over his wife's child. So there's there's that element. There's the phone calls, which are clearly incriminating, clearly strong pieces of evidence when viewed in context. You've got the text messages, things like the to-do list. You've got this really badly drawn map that, that, that Cassidy's put together, which apparently had some of her DNA on it. Again, that's only a small bit. 
people's DNA can get on pieces of paper or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, she could have handled the piece of paper before he drew on it, all of those arguments, Of course. So so you add up all these little things and um, that's when you sort of try to paint a picture of what happened and clearly it's a story that the jury believed and, and, and thought was pretty convincing. She was convicted of murder. That's extraordinary, given that she wasn't there. Well, that's the thing about murder, because there's different types of murders that you can commit. Obviously, there's the type of murder where you carry it out yourself using the weapon to to kill somebody. But then if you're complicit in a, a bigger plan for somebody to be killed, you don't have to be the one that pulls the trigger or the one that inflicts the fatal knife wound to be convicted of murder. If you're part of a bigger plan, you could have even driven the getaway vehicle. That's enough to to go down for murder. If there's a sense that there was an agreement in plan, that's the key thing that needs to be proved. If you're part of an agreement and that agreement is to have somebody killed or to cause them very serious injury, and I stress the word very, you can be done for murder. Bianca was sentenced to 26 years in prison. She'll have to serve a minimum of 20 years before she's eligible for parole. That's a fair whack. It's a fair whack. She's 37 now, so she'll be 57 by the time she gets out. So that's what some people could say is the prime of her life. Um, She's got three kids, so obviously the relationship with them is going to be strained by being in prison and she's going to come out as a woman in the latter part of her life. Do you know of um, how she's travelling in jail? Interestingly, Michelle, despite being accused of, of murder and now being convicted of murder, this hasn't affected Bianca Edmonds' love life, it would appear. After she was charged, she actually got engaged to another man um, who's continuing to support her. We're told that he has very nice things to say about her and is continuing to to be a loyal fiancé and um, one can only presume he'll be waiting for her when she gets out. So just to reiterate, Bianca had another child after Glenn Cassidy died and now she also she is engaged to marry somebody else. That's correct. Okay. Yep. Yep. So she got into this current relationship while she was out on bail. So... She actually hasn't been in custody for very long. Sometimes when people are charged with murder, they go straight into custody. They could spend two or three years behind bars before their case is even finalised. In her case, she was released on bail. So um, she was living out in the community. She was working a retail job in in Canberra before um, having to come down to Melbourne to face court. So she's only really at the start of her, her stint in prison. Sometimes... 20 years doesn't mean 20 years because they've already done three. But in this case, um, she's only served about 10 months. Oh, my goodness. Of her minimum, which is 20 years. And as I say, like, sometimes I feel uncomfortable about this story because the focus is taken away from the victim who was not a perfect person. I think it should be it should be said. Not a perfect person, but someone who certainly didn't deserve to be killed brutally in his own home and have his then partner savagely bashed and, and all because he wanted access to a child. It's um it's tragic that someone's life was, was taken that way and he, he couldn't have imagined that uh, that was going to happen to him. Oh, there's a lot. I mean, there are a lot of children involved and 
whenever, in their case, they have one child between them, whenever one parent is involved in the death of another parent, that is a lifetime sentence for the child involved. It's horrific and it also means that other family members have to take on the role of parenting them. That could be grandparents, for instance, or or, or uncles and aunties, and it's that burden. It's the, the trauma of, yep. of of murder and um, or the death or the serious injury of someone in a crime extends way beyond the parties that are directly involved. It's um, it's really horrible. Thank you to our guest today, ABC News court reporter Christian Silver. If you need support after listening to this podcast, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or contact 1800 RESPECT on 1800 737 732 or 1800respect.org.au. Indigenous Australians can contact 13 Yarn on 13 9276 or 13 yarn.org.au. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. 
They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.